Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Please open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. We'll be reading verses 36 through 51. Again, Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. Continuation series, The Second Coming of Jesus Christ. This morning, Pastor Bruce is preaching on Ready or Not, Here He Comes. So follow along in as I read Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took him took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bow our heads and prayer, be pleased this morning. Father in heaven, how we praise you. We're worshiping you this morning as our creator, as our heavenly father. You are the only true living God. Father God, we, we know that uh, this morning you have a special message for us reminding us that your words in your Bible, Father, are your very words spoken very clearly that we do not know the hour of when your Son, Jesus, will return. But I pray, Father, that you will help us through this message to be ready for when you come and to be prepared for when you come. And may we also not only hear and understand this and take action, but be willing to share this with others that they may be ready as well. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for this time to be in your house this morning. We just praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to 
be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming, a glorious day, a glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. The hands that heal nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, and buried He my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming a glorious day a glorious day Seal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, and buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, a glorious day, a glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with His glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one, bring. My Savior Jesus is mine. Living He loved me, dying He saved me. Buried He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified, 
Really forever One day He's coming Oh, glorious day Oh, glorious day Oh, glorious day Glorious day Oh, glorious day Oh, glorious day What a glorious day Oh, glorious something to get excited about, isn't it? I hope you're looking forward to that day. Because believe me, it is happening. Jesus will come and it will be one glorious day. And of course, the question is, are you ready for it? Are you looking forward to it? Are you prepared? Because Jesus is saying, as we've been finding out in this series, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. In fact, how many of you remember playing a game called hide and seek? Surely everybody here has played that game. How can you not, growing up as a kid? In fact, one of the unique things about hide-and-seek is it is universal all around the world. Every kid knows how to play hide-and-go-seek. You know the game, you remember it. You may have to go back a while. It's last time you played it, but, you know, it basically goes something uh, where one person's chosen to find all the other kids, and he hides behind a tree, puts his hands up to his eyes, and he begins to count down or count up to 10, 20, 50, whatever the case may be. And when he reaches that number, what does he say or she say? Ready or not, here I come. You better be ready because I'm coming to find you. And in a large way, Matthew 24, as we continue in this series, is Jesus' countdown to His coming. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at and studying the, the, the signs, if we can call them that, that precede His coming. From the birth pain signs that will increase in tempo, increase in severity in the last days, to the abomination of desolation that will, in essence, trigger the great tribulation at the halfway point of the tribulation, and then to the cosmic signs of the heavens that, that give us the ultimate sign of Christ coming in the clouds with great glory and power, he says. And as we come to this next section in Matthew 24, Jesus seems to be saying to you and I, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. Now, whenever we talk about the subject of Christ's coming, His return, one question always comes up sooner or later. And that one question is, it's a question we all want to ask. It's a question everybody is either asked verbally or asked in their heart. We think about it, and that is, when? When is Jesus coming back? No matter what else we want to know about the second coming of Christ, it always comes back to this question of when. It's a question of timing. How close are we to the second coming? Do you think we're living in the last days? How do world events fit into the bigger picture of the last days? Do you think Jesus will return in our lifetime? Those are fair questions. And I can't blame anyone for asking them. In fact, I have asked all these questions myself. 
You can hardly study a passage like Matthew 24 without wondering how far or how near we may be from the return of Jesus Christ. So it's a fair question. All these questions are. And not just for today. Believe it or not, if we go back to the very first message, the disciples had the same question 2,000 years ago. When they sat on that Mount of Olives and basically asked Jesus, when, when will these things occur? When is the end of the age going to happen? But no matter how many times we may ask the question, when is Jesus coming back? God's answer to you and I is always the same. His answer is always the same. Notice it. It's not for you to know. That's his answer to the question of when. It's an answer we all love, isn't it? It's not for you to know. It's like a parent telling their kid, uh, you just need to accept it. It's not for you to know. And oh, how they accept it. They just go running off to the room, happy-go-lucky. <laughs> We're kind of the same way. What is left for us to know as much as we can know, that's what's left for us to know. As much as we can learn from God's Word and then trust God for the rest, that perspective comes cl- clear In Matthew 24. In fact, if you go back to verses 32 and 33, Jesus twice says, you know. You know. Referring to the signs of the times that we've looked at in the last several weeks. In other words, when you see the things Jesus predicted, we can know. We can conclude that his coming is near at the very doors, as he says. But then in verse 36... Jesus warns and he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. And in case we missed it, in case we weren't paying attention, Jesus comes back a second time and he says it again in verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So twice Jesus says, you know, and twice he says, you don't know. So which is it, Jesus? Do we know or do we not know? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes. When it comes to the return of Christ, what he is telling us, we can know some things. We do know some things and we don't know other things. We can know the signs of the times. We can reasonably conclude that this age is building to a climax and that the coming of Christ is indeed drawing near. But when it's all said and done, we do not know. And Jesus says we cannot know the exact time of his return. In other words, all speculations when Christ will return are useless. It's sheer folly. And this is why the central theme of everything else that remains in Matthew 24 and into Matthew 25 is Christ's call to you and us, you and I, this morning As it is to every believer, it's a call to readiness. It's a call to be prepared. Everything else that he says from here on out is all about that. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Because here I come. Everything else Jesus says is focused on one thing. Be ready. Why? Because ready or not, here I come. With this in mind, I want us to take some time... And I want you to see four truths this morning. Four facts, four truths from the words of Jesus Christ himself about the return of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, each truth teaches us something important about how we are to live today as we wait and watch for the return of Christ. The very first truth we come to, number one, is what we've already been talking about, and that is we cannot know the precise moment when Christ will return. We cannot know the precise moment. Look at it again. What Jesus says in verse 36 of Matthew 24. But of that day and hour, no one knows. No, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In this one simple little verse, Jesus very clearly tells us three facts, three truths here right off the bat. He tells us, First of all, no person knows the time of Christ's return. And then he says, no angels knows the time of Christ's return. Only God himself knows the time when Jesus will return. You see, the best that we can do is to read the signs of the times and conclude, yes, we may be nearing the end of the age, but even then we cannot be certain. That's why, listen to me, it is so foolish. It's foolishness to set a date for Christ's return. We don't know it. Jesus tells us not even the angels know it. Only God knows it. So if anyone comes along and tells you, hey, I know when Jesus is coming, he's coming on such and such a date at this time. Or if you read it in the papers or on the internet or on, in a book, whatever the case may be, don't believe it. That person is either a false prophet or they're just one loony toony dude. They're a lunatic. Because Jesus tells us clearly, no one knows. Now, obviously, date setters, if we can call them that, have been with us through ages, through history, all along. In fact, you can go to 1666 that year, obviously 666 in that year, and you can imagine, oh, the date setters that were then. We recently had our own just a few years back. You remember Y2K? You thought doomsday was happening, right? And all the date setters came up again. And all these date setters have one thing in common. They ignored Jesus' words when he said, no one knows when Christ will return except God. Now, that poses a question, at least I ask for myself. Well, God, why don't you want me to know? What's the big deal about me knowing the date and the time and when your son is coming back? God the Father, why don't you want me to know? I mean, after all, my boys ask me those questions. Dad, why can't we know? We want to know. Well, let me give you two reasons why. Because knowing when Christ will return defeats urgency. It defeats urgency and it promotes apathy. As much as we might like to know when Christ will return, it is better that we don't know, at least from God's perspective. If we knew the precise moment of Christ's return, it would defeat the urgency of living for Christ today. And it would make us spiritually lazy until he comes. Most of us tend to put things off to the last minute anyways, right? Are you a procrastinator? How many procrastinators? How many unfinished projects do you have in your home? Right? How many honey to-do lists do you get? You always got going a to-do list. Because it's undone. We procrastinate. We tend to put things off till tomorrow, the next time, to the last minute. And we would do the same with our relationship with God. We would try to get our lives completely in order in the last 24 hours before Christ returns. Listen to what Paul says in Titus 
chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, that's the motivation for our life. If we knew Jesus was coming back on the second Tuesday of next month, the only urgency we would have would be for the day before he comes. Like, oh, I got to get ready. Got to get my life right. But when we don't know when Christ will return, only that his return is imminent, it could happen at any moment, then being ready is a constant issue and need in our lives. And that's how Jesus wants us to live. We can summarize it this way. Jesus is coming again, but we cannot be certain when he will return. Therefore, we should always be ready because he may come at any moment. It's, it's like the, when you go to college, sometimes you'll get a professor, and I, I hated these kind of professors. You got a professor in first day class, he announces to the class and tells you, listen, I'm telling you up front, 75% of your grade is going to consist of quizzes. Pop quizzes. Now you know the deal about pop quizzes, right? The guy says, I'm not going to tell you when they're coming. They could come at any moment. You may get one a week, you may... Then get two a week. You may go three weeks, four weeks without any quiz whatsoever. And all of a sudden, I may give you five quizzes in a row. But here's the deal. If you will be ready for each and every quiz, you will get a great grade in my class. And we're like, oh, that means i got to be ready if I want to pass the class. Listen, it's the same way. When we think about the second coming, we ought to adopt the Boy Scouts motto. You know it? Be ready. Be ready. Why? Jesus is coming and no one knows the day or the hour. So be ready, be prepared and live as if it might be today and you will not be caught off guard or ashamed. As believers, we are always to be ready. Why? Because Jesus is saying to us, ready or not, here I come. And the question is, are we ready? Are we staying ready? That's the first truth. The second truth we come to is the world, on the other hand, unlike believers who should be always ready, the world will be completely unprepared for Christ's return. We see this in Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. Look what Jesus says. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus is simply doing a comparison. He is making a very simple comparison here. He's saying to us, as it was in the days of Noah... So will it be when Jesus returns. And the question is, well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, we could define it this way. You could write across the days of Noah, business as usual. Business as usual. What were the people doing? Jesus says the people were eating and drinking. 
Marrying and giving in marriage. Now, yes, it is true that the world was exceedingly wicked in the days of Noah. As you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. You say, how great? And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That's how great. Yes, the world was exceedingly wicked. But understand, Jesus' point here in this verse in Matthew 24 is not primarily about the extraordinary wickedness in the days of Noah. When Jesus says that the people in Noah's day were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, he is not describing activities that are inherently sinful and wrong. Rather, Jesus is emphasizing that the people were all caught up in the ordinary things of life. The everyday goings of life. They were eating breakfast. They were drawing water from their wells. And they were attending the wedding celebrations of their kids. In other words, the people in Noah's day were living each day business as usual. And they were completely ignoring the warnings of Noah in the process. While Noah built the ark and warned the people of coming judgment, they just laughed at him and said, Rain? Ha! What's that? It's never going to rain. Never seen it in my life. So they didn't pay any attention. Noah's day, Jesus says, was like our days. It is an age of skeptical unbelief, an age of casual unconcerned. So for 120 years, Noah preached about the coming flood. And for 120 years, the people just lived business as usual. And then Jesus says some of the most sobering words you will ever read in the Bible in verse 39. Did you catch those words? Look what he says. But the flood what? The flood what? Came. The flood came. The flood came. And what did that flood do? It took them all away, as Jesus puts it. Just think of it. An entire generation wiped out by the hand of God. One moment you're sitting down to eat supper. And the next moment your home is washed away. And it happened so suddenly that no one was ready except Noah and his family. Out of the whole world, only eight people were saved. Everyone else perished as the flood waters rose across the earth. And Jesus says this is what the second coming of Christ will be like for an unbelieving world. It will be business as usual until the very day Jesus returns. Just as people in Noah's day did not believe Noah. They didn't believe the coming flood. Even so, the world mocks the idea that there is a literal Jesus who will return in, visible, in, in, in a visible body. Just as he was in walking on the face of the earth, he will come again. And just as the flood brought sudden judgment to the world, Christ says so his return will do the same. Listen, when the waters came, the unbelievers, Jesus says, were taken in sudden judgment, in sudden death, so that only Noah and his family were left. And when Jesus returns to the earth, unbelievers will once again be, quote, taken in death and judgment, and only believers will be preserved by God. 
And just as the ark saved Noah, listen to me, even so Jesus Christ is the ark of our salvation. He is the ark of our safety for those who believe in him, for those who put their complete faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross, his death, and then his resurrection. You say, well, what warning, what ultimate warning are we supposed to learn from this lesson of the days of Noah? Listen, here is the warning to us from the days of Noah. It comes to us loud and clear, and that is don't live with a cavalier attitude while waiting for the return of Christ. You say, what's cavalier? All it means is an arrogant and casual attitude. The people in Noah's day, let me tell you, they moved through life so much like we do. The people in Noah's day moved through life with a cavalier attitude toward the coming flood. And folks, listen to me. Consequently, they were caught completely off guard and unprepared. Why? Because they were living life business as usual. They were eating, drinking, marrying, having kids, raising families, working seven to five, kicking back on the weekends, running kids from one ball game to one dance recital doing this, taking vacations here, doing that. And I'm not saying all those things are wrong. But they were doing that rather than turning to God in repentance. And so the population didn't do one iota. They didn't do anything. The people just drifted along with the prevailing culture and the prevailing attitude of the day. And God says, that's the way it will be before Jesus comes. Do we learn anything from history? Or do we simply repeat the mistakes of the past? Folks, listen, as believers, we ought to learn from our history. And Jesus is giving us an opportunity to do so. He is warning us. But I find it interesting. We cannot overlook it. Jesus is not done because then he proceeds to give us a vivid picture as if the days of Noah are not vivid enough. He then gives us an additional picture of what it will be like when he returns. Look what he says in verses 40 and 41. He says, then two men will be in the field. Two. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Now get this. Today, today, here we are Mother's Day. Today, believers and unbelievers are mingled together in this world. What I mean by that is we live together we eat together, we work together, we play together, we go to school together. We will go to the same restaurants perhaps even this afternoon. We wear the same clothes, we drive the same cars, we live somewhat in the same houses, we cheer for the same sports teams. We are together, we mingle together. When you look at the two men in the field and when you look and study the two women grinding at the millstone, Listen, they seem exactly the same. There are no obvious outward differences. And yet the true difference between them is the difference between heaven and hell, Jesus says. 
Jesus says one will be taken and one will be left. And when Jesus comes back, the most intimate relationships will be severed. That is the point he is making. Husbands taken, wives left. Sisters taken, brothers left. Uncles taken, aunts left. Grandchildren taken, but grandparents left. One friend taken, another friend left. One neighbor taken, another neighbor left. One coworker taken, and another coworker left. This separation of believers from unbelievers will be sudden. Let me tell you, it will be irreversible, and it will be eternal. There will be no appeal of the decision that is made by God. And there will be no possibility of repentance once this takes place. Now, this is a sobering truth to ponder. You know what this means? You know what Jesus is trying to tell us here this morning? First of all, he's trying to tell us that universalism, and perhaps you've never heard of that term before, but universalism is a belief that everyone will be saved in the end. You think, who believes that? A lot of people. That God is loving, and somehow everybody will make it to heaven because God is so loving. Listen, that belief is sheer folly according to the words of Jesus Christ here. It also means no one will be saved simply by being close to a saved person. Listen, you aren't saved because your husband or wife is saved. You are not saved because you live in the same house as a believer. You are not saved because you ride the same school bus as a believer. You're not saved because you work in the same cubicle with another believer. If you reject Christ as your Savior, when He returns, you will be eternally separated from your loved ones who truly know the Lord. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning. He is basically saying, close may count in horseshoes and hand grenades, but it doesn't count when it comes to salvation. So the question is, are you ready? Are you a believer this morning? In Jesus Christ, because you have placed your faith in him and his work on the cross for you and paying the penalty for your sins. Here's the warning that Jesus gives to us loud and clear this morning. Don't live with this cavalier attitude, this haughty attitude that it's never going to happen while waiting for Christ's return, which brings us to the third truth. We must be ready. We must be ready because Christ may return at any moment. Jesus says in Matthew 24, notice it in verse 42, watch therefore. Why? Why watch? Why why give energy to watching for the return of Christ? He tells us why. Look what he says, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, in order to illustrate this truth, Jesus tells us a story. It's a wonderful story. Look what he says in verse 43. Here it is. But know this, that if the master of the house had not known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, this is not the first time the return of Christ is compared to a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves now know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a 
thief in the night. Revelation 3.3 says, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. Revelation 16.15, As behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. Now, how does a thief come to your house? He comes suddenly, and he comes unannounced. After all, if you knew a thief was coming at 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning, what would you be doing? You would be ready. But thieves really call and make appointments in advance. Right? Most of you know, my sister-in-law Donna is a Kansas City police officer. Donna, does that happen? Do police call in advance? Thieves call, do thieves call in advance? No. Can you imagine getting a call like that? Hello, I'm your neighborhood thief, and I'm calling to schedule a time to rob you. If you've got your calendar handy, I'll be in the area next Friday night. I'll try to be there by 3 a.m. in the morning, but it might be a little closer to 4 a.m. because I've got two other houses to do before I come to yours. Oh, and by the way, it would be a big help if you would just pile up all the stuff in the middle of the living room floor so we don't have to go searching through all your drawers and closets. And don't forget to leave the door unlocked. Can you imagine getting that phone call? It never happens that way, does it? Here's the point Jesus is making. He's saying no thief in his right mind would announce his own coming. And no homeowner in his right mind would leave the house unlocked and unguarded if he knew a thief was coming at a certain time. And if we know for sure that a thief is coming, but we don't know the exact time, we will always be on guard. What might that look like? Well, before you left your house, you would what? You would lock the doors. You would shut the windows. You would set the alarm and you would get a hungry Rottweiler. You might even buy a 12-gauge, double-barrel shotgun so you can drive the th- give the thief a personal greeting if you're still home. But you probably won't need all those precautions for 999 days, will you? But let me tell you, on day 1,000, you will be glad you're ready. I can't help but think in 2003, the summer of 2003, June, our church... My first year as a pastor, by the way. Our church was robbed three times in four weeks. What an initiation. The third time it happened, I sat on that porch, that entrance back there, and I cried. God, what are you doing? Let me tell you, we were unprepared as a church. We were, I mean, desperately unprepared to face what we faced. But it didn't take long to get prepared. After three times, God, you know, I'm thick-headed, but, you know, not that thick-headed. I learned after three times. I'm like, man, we got to do something. I called Donna and said, Donna, what do you suggest? We need to get an alarm. Duh. Let me tell you, we had an alarm within four weeks. And we've been ready ever since then. Ever since then, we are always ready. We always set the alarm. Well, maybe not always, Because we're human beings and sometimes we forget. But you get the idea. It's the same way. 
Listen, Jesus is giving us a warning in the story from the thief in the night, and it's the same warning. What is that warning? He's saying, don't live with this careless attitude while waiting for Christ's return. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. His coming will be unannounced. It will be unscheduled and unexpected. So be ready at all times. Jesus is warning us against an attitude that says, I haven't been robbed this year, so I'm turning off my alarm. I'm leaving my doors unlocked and my window open. Nobody's ever robbed me before, and it won't happen to me now. Yes, it can. Jesus Christ, he is warning against a careless, reckless, self-deceptive attitude that keeps insisting, "Ah, it can't happen to me. Jesus isn't coming. Yes, he is. And he will return without any announcement, so be ready, he says. In fact, in verse 44, that is clearly his words. He says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not what? Expect. Now, here's something to think about. Let me ask you, when's the last time you got up in the morning and you said to yourself, Jesus may come today. This could be the day. Jesus may come today. Listen, for some of us, it's been a long time since we have thought about his return. That's why I love the song that the praise team sang for us. To remind us of that glorious appearing that that it is coming one day. Are we ready? Listen, Jesus could come in any moment. And that is the question we must ask. Are we ready or are we living with a careless attitude that says, oh, he'll never come. I can live any way I want. Since Jesus could come tomorrow, since he could come next year, since it may even be 20 years, 50 years, or another 100 years from now, what should we do then until he returns? Should we just kick back in life? Should we just relax, twiddle our thumbs, play tiddlywinks, collect seashells on the beach? What should we do while we're waiting? Well, that brings us to the fourth truth. Look at it. We are to be faithful in our assigned tasks while we wait. We're to be faithful. In verse 45, Jesus uses that word, faithful, to describe the attitude we are to have while we wait for his return. And then, like no other, Jesus tells us another story to illustrate the truth. Look at the story in verses 45 through 51. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? And by the way, that's what we want to be. We want to be faithful and wise servants as believers. So he says, who then is one whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that He will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the master represents who do you think? The master represents Jesus Christ. 
And the faithful servant represents us as believers in Jesus Christ who will be on the earth before the Lord's return. While the evil servant obviously represents unbelievers. And basically what Jesus is telling us, he is declaring that every person in this world has been entrusted with things. Every person's life, their possessions, their resources, their abilities, and their opportunities are entrusted to us by God himself. And every person will be held accountable to how we manage what God has given to us during our time here on this earth. So what's the warning? Well, here's the warning from the faithful and evil servants. Don't live with a callous attitude while waiting for Christ's return. You say, why? Why not live with a callous attitude? Because in the parable, the return of the master means it's time for the servants to give an account The faithful servant is the one found doing what his master had commanded him to do. And so he is rewarded by being placed in charge of all the master's goods. And he's given authority to manage all the master's possessions. That represents believers who are found faithful to the Lord. Do you realize if we are found faithful in this lifetime, we will then, when Jesus comes, we will give an account to him. And he will then reward us man we will we will rule and reign with christ and we become joint heirs with christ inheriting all the privileges of the kingdom but that evil servant oh the evil servant he displays the attitude of callous procrastination his attitude is devoid of any expectancy of the master's return and so he says in his heart oh my master's not coming My master's delaying his coming. And this lack of expectancy gives him a false sense of security in his evil behavior, in his way of life. And of course, in the parable, the master appears what? Suddenly, he comes unexpectedly and he catches the evil servant off guard. And when he saw how that wicked evil servant rationalized his coming when he saw how he compromised his behavior, he ordered him cast out of the house, cut into pieces, and consigned him to the place of the hypocrites where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now just think about that phrase for a moment. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's some pretty strong imagery by Christ, is it not? It speaks of endless sorrow. It speaks of the torments of hell, which means this evil servant was no different than the hypocrites and unbelievers. And so it will be when Christ returns. Those who remain faithful will be rewarded. But those who don't believe His word, those who who squandered their opportunities and all that they've been entrusted to by God will suffer the torments of hell. You say, that warning seems harsh. You better believe it's harsh. But folks, do you realize that even in this warning, as harsh as it may be, there is an abundance of grace in this warning? Grace from our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, where's the grace in it? Listen, the grace is, he is urging us now 
all those who are in the hearing of his words, all those who read this words, and that includes you and I this morning, there is grace going out to you this morning because you are under this. You are hearing it, and Christ is urging us to believe while there is still opportunity. And in this parable, Jesus is showing us the folly, the foolishness of presuming that the Lord will delay His coming, thus eliminating any need to be ready for it. But the lesson of this parable goes way beyond the call to put our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this is a call to you and I as believers as well. It is a call to faithfulness while we wait for the Lord to return. Remember, the faithful servant was devoted to the task entrusted to him. And when the master returned unexpectedly, man, that servant was ready. Why? Because he had stayed ready. That's our challenge this morning. That is the challenge. You say, well, how do I stay ready? What do I need to do to be ready, to keep ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Let me give you just two simple points here in closing. Unbelievers, if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the warning The step for you, unbelievers, need to trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord before it's too late. There's an old fable about a time when Satan was training three apprentice devils. And he asked the first one how he proposed to deceive people. And this first one said, oh, I'll just tell them there's no God. That will never work, Satan replied. For everyone knows there is a God. Well, the second one He kind of shot up and volunteered and said that he would tell people, there's no hell. Well, that won't work either. Everyone knows there must be a hell, Satan said. And then the third apprentice devil spoke up, man. I will tell them there is no hurry. There is no need to hurry. And Satan just smiled and said, you will deceive millions. You know what, folks? That's been one of Satan's chief tactics since the Garden of Eden. He wins multitudes of people by convincing them there is no hurry in this life. That you have plenty of time to think about your relationship with God. That you have plenty of time to come to Christ and to repent of your sin. That you have plenty of time to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. But that is not true. Listen, today is the only day that you are guaranteed. And even then, it's only at this moment. And it may be the only day you ever have for the rest of your life. There has never been a better time for you to come to the cross, for you to come to Jesus Christ and by faith put your trust in Him and accept Him as your Savior and Lord. And to receive the gift of eternal life. And to know for sure that when you die or when Jesus comes, I will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. Because I'm ready. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I beg you, I urge you to run to the cross. 
Run to Christ before it's too late. But I know as I scan the crowd, most of us here are already believers. And here's the warning for us. Here's the need for you and I as believers. We need to work for Jesus while watching and waiting for his soon return. Let me share a story with you that I think illustrates this point. In the days before Connecticut became a state, the state legislator was in session when a thick cloud, thick black cloud blocked out the sunlight. And someone shouted, it's the day of judgment. It's the day of judgment. We got to go home. We got to get ready. But one member of the legislator who happened to be an old believer stood up and said, brethren, it may be the day of judgment. I don't know. The Lord may come. But when he does, I want him to find me at my post, doing my duty up to the very last moment. Mr. Speaker, I move that candles be brought in and that we get on with the business of the colony. Listen, in the same way, Jesus could return at any moment. But until he does, our job as believers is to keep working for Christ to continue doing the business of his kingdom by sharing the hope and love of his grace. Listen, church, do you you wonder why? Why do we invest so much time and energy and effort in sponsoring and doing these community outreach events? Why do we give and sacrifice our time to serve in ministry here at our church week after week, Sunday after Sunday? Why do we take time to invest, or at least we should be, in in relationships with lost people? Why? Why do we do all that? Why do we stay faithful to the task? It's because we've been given a job. We're trying to reach our community and beyond for Christ. We're trying to present the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen, do we not have it already? Have we not received His grace and His hope? Do we not know the outcome? And are we not then concerned for those who have yet to experience that? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you ready? Because Jesus is saying loud and clear, ready or not, here I come. With your heads bowed. And as the praise team comes, again, let me ask you a question. A question that only you can look into your heart and answer. If Jesus were to come back today, would you be ready to meet him? And if you say, oh, I hope so, or I'm not sure, then you really aren't ready. Remember what Jesus said would happen when he returns. One taken, one left. Which group will you be in? What will happen to you when Jesus Christ returns? Listen, if you don't know him, if you aren't ready to meet him, you can be ready by opening your heart and trusting him as your Savior and Lord. Put your hope in what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Let me encourage you, lay aside your trust in anything you have done or can do and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is coming again. Maybe today. Are you ready? Moms, you know, it's Mother's Day. What a shame to be caught unprepared and ashamed. Are you ready, moms? 
Zach's going to sing, and as he does, I want to encourage you to respond. If you're an unbeliever, respond to Jesus Christ. Call of salvation. Run to the cross. Right where you're at, where you're seated, you just cry out to him. He'll understand the words of your heart. He'll know your sincerity. You confess your sin and you ask for forgiveness and say, you tell him, I want to trust you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. But for the rest of us as a church, what kind of business do we need to do to get ready? This is our opportunity.